Thank you all so much for joining me today. Before I begin, I need to pray. Father God, we just come boldly before your throne of grace. We thank you so much for being full-time in our life. We ask that you please allow us to receive your word today. Let us apply what we need to apply. God, let us be able to have discernment in every situation, in every circumstance, no matter what, Lord God. Allow us to see things through your eyes and ears so that we can perceive and understand, Lord, from your perspective and not our own, God. We want to be influenced by you. We want to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. So allow us to be influenced by the Holy Spirit in every single belief that we have, in every single idea that we have, in every single perspective that we have, including our perception, our goals. God, we want to be influenced by you, by your Holy Spirit, Lord God. So just please allow us to be able to be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit at all times through discernment, Lord God. We thank you, God that you are so trustworthy. We thank you for favoring every situation and circumstance, Lord God. And we just ask that you just please allow us to put your perspective on, on everything in life, on every situation, in every single goal, objective that we have, that we want to implement and accomplish, God. We want to be influenced by you, encouraged by you, inspired by you, God. So we attach our desires to you. We attach our goals to you, God. Our confidence is attached to you. Our motivation is attached to you and our perspective and perception and discernment is all attached to you. Our understanding is attached to you, Lord God. Our comprehension is attached to you. So we just thank you in advance for all of the things that you're doing for us, God. We allow, we ask that you will allow us to just remove any blockage or hindrance, God, and let us walk in our anointing that you've called us to do, God. Allow us to be able to satisfy your, your plan, will, and purpose by all means. It doesn't matter what, what they may be, what it may look like, God. We say yes to you. We say yes to your plan, yes to your will, yes to your purpose in our life. And so, God, we thank you in advance for allowing us to be positioned and maneuvered exactly where we're supposed to be God we ask that you orchestrate what needs to be orchestrated in our life so that you can pivot us God we want to be pivoted exactly where we're supposed to be and it doesn't matter where God we say yes to you Lord and so we just ask that you keep our hearts softened and melted for you God we ask that you could just continue to give us a double portion of your love mercy and grace and, and that you allow us to receive the gift more gifts of the Holy Spirit but most importantly, God, we just ask that you please quicken us through your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for just filling us up. We ask that you um, just continue to direct us in the path of righteousness. And, and, and Lord, we just thank you, God, that no matter what we go through, that we will not be victims of emotional or physical trauma in any experience, God. Do not let us have any victim mentalities, God. We are victory. We walk in victory, God. And so we thank you. We declare and decree that we are blessed with abundance. Our finances is blessed. We have vitality and prosperity in our souls and in our life. And God, we just thank you. We ask that you please allow your will to be done. That's the most important thing. Your will, your purpose, your plan to be fulfilled in our life. In the name of Jesus Christ, it is still in your atonement blood. Amen. Thank you all so much for joining me today. Um, I am just really excited. Okay. 
I can tell you that I'm excited because God really does show up and he shows out on our behalf. He blesses us on purpose. Even when you don't have anything going on, God creates the opportunity for you. He opens up doors in your life. So just understand no matter what your position may be, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what you're going through, be inspired, be motivated by God. Put on some praise and worship music and praise God in your situation. It don't matter what your situation may be. Praise God today. Okay. I, I can tell you that God listens and acknowledges praise. So no matter what is going on in your life, understand that God loves you and he desires for you to be successful and to be blessed. So be blessed to be a blessing to other people. Amen. So today I want to talk about um, stereotypes. Last week was the um, last week was the the pilot for basically understanding the trajectory of how stereotypes are formulated, and it also gave a clear definition of what we can expect from stereotypes and how sometimes we may participate in stereotypes, right? So we, we understood this information by Dr. Kira Hudson Banks. Okay. And also it was, um, let me get my notes. I just had my notes. So that was Dr. Uh, Kira Hudson Banks. And also we uh, had talked about stereotypes from the perspective of um let's see here you talked about just the, the stereotypes from uh, a number of different perspectives right and so it's so it's crucial for us to understand that there are many different ways to define something so just because somebody have an interpretation of one thing and they give like a great analogy and um provide you with an analysis of their reflection on whatever we're discussing it could be stereotypes it could be whatever it is it doesn't matter we see that they're gonna always be you know other quality reflections as well so it's not it may not be congruent for you to just understand things from one perspective in order to broaden the scope we want to we want to be broadening the scope of our understanding. So God doesn't want us to have limits on our, our ability to understand things and have wisdom and knowledge in areas because see God is uh God is all knowing. He's all knowing. He's omniscience. God is omniscient, right? And so what that means is that he's all knowing. He knows everything. And the with the same the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, it actually lives on the inside of us. So what that means is that um that what that means is that God has given us power. And with the power that we have, we see in Romans 8 and 11. But if the spirit of him goes to your Bible to so Romans chapter 8, verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also 
quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So what, what does that mean specifically? Well, what we understand is that it means that the Holy Spirit will quicken you. That's what that means. The Holy Spirit quickens us, right? And the way that we're quickened is through our ability to be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit wants to communicate, but are you sensitive with the Holy Spirit? That's the thing. And so being able to understand when God is speaking to you through the Holy Spirit allows you to have gifts of the Holy Spirit because our gifts comes from the Holy Spirit itself. So looking back at that scripture, Romans 8 and 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, right? if it dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So this is good. Everything that comes from God is good. So we want the Holy Spirit to quicken us at all times. The Holy Spirit should quicken you. Let the Holy Spirit quicken you. And the, and the way to do that is to just listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to you through discernment. Discernment is, is shaping your understanding, how you comprehend, how, how you're perceiving other people. So your perception, okay? So let's look at let's look at this term. Let's look at at some of these um, definitions here. So we're gonna look at perception. We're also gonna look at um, understanding. Okay. So perception is the process of perceiving something with the senses. The process or state of being aware of something. Okay. It basically trans translates your sensory stimulation into your experience. How your brain and your uh, senses interact with your um, overall experience. That's what perception is. But understanding is what? That's similar it's di it's directly correlated with perception the ability by which one understands or so your intelligence the quality of condition of one who understands or comprehends how you reason right so the judgment or outlook or your opinion on things is shaped by your understanding of things okay so in order for you to be able to perceive what you're supposed to perceive you have to be able to be, you have to allow the Holy Spirit to quicken you. So let's look at this word quicken. And I want to look at the word quicken in um, Greek because we're in the Old Testament of Romans chapter 8 and 11. So we're going to look at quicken in Greek. Okay. So you go, um, and before before i actually define the word quicken um hold on one second here i'm trying to pull this up 
So before I define the word quicken in the um, Strong's Concordance, I just want to give everyone a brief understanding of what, what the Strong's Concordance is. So we have the Bible. The Holy Bible has two different testaments. The Old Testament, which is written in Hebrew, and the New Testament that is written in Greek. So the first five chapters in the Holy Bible, we have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That is considered the Torah. Okay, and the Torah is the law, basically the stipulations and provisions that God placed upon man during that time, right? That's the law. The Torah is the law. So the Old Testament ends at the book of Malachi. So the New Testament starts at the book of Matthew. So from the book of Malachi to the book of Matthew, there was a 400 year silent period where God didn't speak to anyone, right? It's called the silent period. And so in Matthew, on to the book of Revelation, we see that in the first four books of the New Testament, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are considered the Gospels. So the Gospels teaches us about the life of Jesus. And this is where we would go and learn about Jesus. And so when Jesus was here on earth, he was 100% man and also 100% God. And so what Jesus did while he was here on earth was he healed the sick, raised the dead, and did all of those things. He used his godly powers to heal the sick and raise the dead. But he didn't use any of his, his godly powers to defend himself. So when during the time when he was released out of the authority of Pontius Pilate, he's the Roman Catholic, right? who allowed Jesus to be crucified by giving him to the Jews, which were, were the religious Pharisees and Sadducees. The religious, uh, the religious Pharisees, Sadducees were Jewish. They are the ones who crucified Jesus, but it was out under the authority of Pontius Pilate, who was a Roman Catholic. So what happened was when Jesus was crucified, he died on the cross. When he died on the cross, he resurrected. Three days later is when he resurrected. Now for 40 days after his resurrection, he was here on earth. During the time that he was here on earth, he was able to, you know, uh, minister to people and help people and, um, you know, just declare the gospel and what to do. Going out, therefore making disciples, disciples baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So God gave Jesus Christ was God who resurrected when he was here on earth for the 40 days after his resurrection. He ascended into heaven after the 40th day. Right. And he 10 days later, he sent the Holy Spirit down. That's considered 50. So that means 40 days he was here on earth after he resurrected. Then 10 days later, guess what? The Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles. Okay. Once that happened, that's considered 50 days. So the day of Pentecost is 50. It means 50. Okay. And so the way we understand God and his will is understanding the Bible. So since it's written in Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament, 
if you don't speak Hebrew or speak Greek, you're not going to understand the translations. You can understand the English translations, but if you want to dive further into understand, understanding the etymology of God's word, then you want to go to the root word, the root number. Okay. So each, each word in the Bible has its own lexicon number or strong number, or it may have its own lexicon word or strong's word. You have multiple different translation like ministries and scholars, right? They are, there are a lot of people who love translating the word of God, okay? So they may say Strong's number. Many of them may say lexicon number. They may say Hebrew number or just Greek. Greek will be a G number. H is a, a, a Hebrew is an H number. So, or H letter or word. And so... When we go on, when we look and analyze and understand the Hebrew and Greek, we, we can go on to the Strong's Concordance and just type in the word. And it'll translate for us in either Hebrew or Greek. It'll tell us specifically how many times that word was written in the Bible, right? How many Bible verses it was attached to, how many um, definitions it have, and how many different strong numbers it have. So the word perfect, for instance, that, that word itself has 94 different meanings, but it has 23 definitions. It was in 94 different Bible verses, the word perfect. But the word perfect actually in Hebrew means Tam. It's Strong's number A535, which means to be mature in thought and action. So many times you may be understanding or looking at a word in the, in the Bible and you may think that you can compare that word to the dictionary, but you can't because it's written in Hebrew and that word is also written in Greek. So the word perfect in Hebrew means to be mature in thought and action. It's Strong's number 8535. So we're going to understand what it means to be quickened. We don't want to look at the dictionary to see what it means. Now, many times it may have similar or um, may it may have direct um, or indirect correlations, but it doesn't mean the exact same thing. OK, so I'm not going to say that the dictionary itself doesn't provide some type of accuracy for the term itself, for the etymology of that root word. But the certain lexicon words or numbers are slightly different from the dictionary so we see that the word perfect itself means to be mature in thought and action but the word perfect according to the dictionary has nine different meanings compared to hebrew where it has 23 different meanings so in the dictionary it means to be without flaw right so right now we're just going to type in the word quicken and i've done that already and so the word quicken is actually listed in 13 different Bible verses. It has two different meanings. And so since I'm analyzing it from the Greek perspective, the Greek, because we're looking at Romans chapter 8 and 11, this word is only mentioned once in the Bible, the way that they're interpreting quicken. So the way we pronounce the word quicken is Zubo uh is is pronounced supaeo super zupaeo is strong's number two 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 seven and it means to vitalize make alive give life and quicken 
So when I was just praying vitality, vitality is to the uh, vital lives. You are making, you are alive. You are live. You are quickened. So that's what vitality means to quicken. Okay. So you pronounce the Greek word as zupoio, Strong's number or lexicon number 2227. Okay. So you're, you're, um, being, um, vitalized. You have vitality, right? When the Holy Spirit quickens you, that's what that means. So we have vitality in our soul. We have vitality in our life. So let's go back to the scripture and understand it from the way that we just read it. Okay. So now looking at Romans 8 and 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken. So quicken what? Zupaeo, right? The Greek word to Strong's number 2227. So you're going to uh, vitalize, you're going to have vitality in your mortal bodies. That's what it says. So he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also uh shall also vital uh vitalize your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So you should have vitality in your soul, vitality in your body, because of the word quicken here. And because of the Holy Spirit quickening you. So the, the Holy Spirit provides vitality. So now if we were to look up the definition of vitality, let's look that up. The vitality, right? It means the capacity to live, grow, or develop. That's what vitality means. So it's the characteristic principle or force that distinguishes living things from non-living things. So like many times people may feel like they're living, but they're not actually living. So I'm going to say that for the people in the back of the room, right? So some people are distinguished because they are, some people are actually living because they have vitality in their mortal bodies. They have vitality in their bodies through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then there are people that are living, but actually don't have vitality in their lives. And we see that perception can be influenced by this, right? Perception. And then what we want to be able to do is to have more than just life here on earth without you know the ability to be living you want to have life and live right you want to have life here on earth and in heaven in a way where you have vitality in your life you can grow and you can develop right so the way that you grow and develop is through the power of the holy spirit that is how you grow and develop so let's Let's try to understand that a little more, okay? Um, so let's let's understand what perception is. Excuse me. So let's go to perception, understand perception. Wait one second here. My I don't know what my computer, God, please let the computer 
run more efficient. Maybe I need to close some of these programs. Give me one second here, you guys, everybody. Okay. Okay, so we see that vitality allows you the ability to live, grow, and develop, right? And you 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 have the ability to be uh, vitalized by the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit quickens you according to Romans 8 and 11, right? And so what you want to be able to do is live life in a way where you can perceive things in a way that's congruent to righteousness and, and with you having the ability to live abundant. So let, let me explain this. There are people that are living, but they're not actually living life in a way where they are thriving. So let's talk about, I, I want to go to an article. It's an article by um, Very Well Mind, and it talks about perception. What is perception? I actually really do enjoy reading um, blogs about cognitive psychology and um, through Very Well Mind. They are very reflective most of the time. Um, but let's look at this, for instance. We have the different that it talks about the different types of perception right? That stimulate your senses. So this includes your visual perception. You have your scent perception, your touch perception, the sound perception, your taste perception, right? You have all of these perceptions. So the thing about having these perceptions is how, how are these perceptions influencing you? Hold on one second. I'm trying to figure this out. Okay. All right, one second, everybody. I apologize. I don't I'm trying to close out some of this these screens that I have open. Okay. All right, here we go. Okay. So we perceive our environments based upon your person perception social perception but then again you have your your conscious which is your co-perception right and see i talked about this on the last podcast where god has allowed your co-perception to also stimulate you to influence you and that's that's your conscious okay um, so let's just talk, let's talk about perception from the, the mind of very well mind, right? Um, and then we'll talk about it from the biblical perspective. Okay. So now you have, there are different types of perception in psychology. So the person perception, it basically refers to your ability to identify and use social, um, social uh interactions with people and your relationships okay your social perception is how you perceive societies and how they are affecting the way you stereotype 
and make generalizations. Okay, there are different types of perception that allows you to um, interact from a, a, what can I say? It allows you to interact with your, in your experience by shaping your experience. So your perception can actually shape your perception within that experience. So for instance, if if you are a if you are a, a marginalized person, a African American or a Hispanic and you're in an underserved community and you have been harassed by the community policing and so you have created this negative perception you've attached an experience to your perception and have shaped your perce your perception about how you identify with policing from your experience. Okay? So your perception really, really dictates a lot in life. Most people just be like, oh, it's just... You know, it's not that meaningful. Oh, yes, it is. And this is the reason why I'm talking about this today. Because through your perception, you become aware of things. Through your perception, you learn. Through your perception, you have continuous growth or you have continuous de decline in life. Your perception. So, for instance, you may have, you know... Um, you know, like they, they have these videos where they, they have some people having a negative perspective, perception about people in Islam. And so like, if they're standing by, they, they make these stereotypes, like don't, they better not leave a bag or if they leave a bag, everybody run. They make these videos, right? Let's see if I can find one of these videos. Okay, so you have these negative perceptions and um, with it, Islamic people because, you know, um, because of 9-11 or September 11th. So you associate bombing with that. So that is a negative perception. That, that experience of seeing, right? Because we understand your perception is shaped by what? Your perception is shaped by your visual perception, your scent, your touch, your, your taste. So this is direct contact here. So you, you've heard of September 11, you've heard of these things, and, and so now you've associated a stereotype that is a negative stereotype of, you know, bombing, for instance. So we have all of these different type of perceptions. And so what it means is we can't allow our experiences from the things that we, you know, visualize and our um, sense or the things that we touch and taste or the things that we hear, we cannot allow those things to stay permanent within our perception.
So I had to learn how to deal with the fact that sometimes I don't like the opposing ideas of others. But who really likes the opposing ideas of other people? It's not too many people that, that'll go and say, oh, yeah, yeah, criticize me today. I love to hear criticism. Yeah, because you just tell me all of the bad stuff that I that you think I do so I can work on those things. Most people are not going to be sitting back talking about being criticized. Like this isn't something that is done on a voluntary basis. But that may be something that you need to hear in order for you to analyze your life and have self-reflection, self-reflexivity. Because looking at, at life from the lens of someone else, looking at your life, looking at the lens of the other or other people and their opposing ideas about you could probably help you reshape the trajectory of your life. Maybe you're not choosing God and they're talking to you about God. You could choose God today. Maybe, you know, you have a plan to uh, leave and, and go somewhere and do something bad. But instead of you doing that, God is saying, no, listen to his voice. Because your plan is at a low level. God's plan is at higher level. So in order for us to fully understand this, right, we need to understand perception. So I want to talk about um, some perception, the different types of perception I went over. So now let's, let's break some of these perceptions down so we could better understand them collectively, right? Because it's better to understand things in a way where um, everybody can gain and understand what what is being said about perception. One moment, everybody. Okay. All right. So we understand person perception, social, perce social perception is shaping your stereotype and generalizations, right? Okay. So now let's look at the environmental stimulus. So we have the world basically have the, the world stimulus, which is like the environmental stimulus, right? And we perceive things about the world based upon our experience, our attraction for things. That perception is shaped by our attraction. We also have a perception about attended um, stimulus, which means it's like specific objects of the environment. We may place more emphasis on certain things than others. So, for instance, some people love trees 
or in fruits, right? While other people just love to make sure that the infrastructure of our environment is right. The roads are okay, you know. Is it clean outside? Is the neighborhood okay? Is it, you know, is it nice? So you have, now you have the image on the, the retina, which is basically the perception that, that involves light passing through the cornea and on pupil onto the lens of your eye. So that's more of a scientific understanding of perception. Visually. Then now you have the transduction. So this is like the image of the retina that is transformed into like electrical signals. It's talking about a little bit more of the, the science behind understanding your physical perception. The scientific, the, the curated science behind your um, perception. So now the next thing you have neural processing. So you after transduction, you have the electrical signals that undergo in um, your brain, right? Like your auditory signals or your visual signals. So these are like the curative science of your brain and understanding the perception that happens. Next, you have perception itself. So the perception process involves multi- stimulus right but you are aware of what's going on you are aware in your conscious kind so 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 very well has another article that talks about cognitive psychology and it it breaks down um the consciousness and psychology okay so it, it consciousness is the awareness of your thoughts memories feelings sensations environments um and that's that's fine that they de define them that way but it can be defined slightly different in the bible so i'm not going to talk about consciousness too much on very well mind i am however going to talk about the con the perception through very well mind because it addresses many of the psychological aspects including the curative science behind understanding perception so now we have recognition so the recognition of perception involves how your brain is basically allocating and cat, uh, categorizing these different perceptions. So you may have low, medium, or high tolerance for some things. Like, for instance, you may not like if people yell. My grandmother, she, she could not stand when someone is smacking when they're eating food. So if you're smacking and chewing really loud, she does not like that. She could not stand it. It used to irritate her. She would associate your smacking with, you know, like you have a lack of manners. You wasn't raised right. She associates so many different things to you not being able to chew your food properly. So people have these perceptions and, and I know that I'm, I'm going real deep in the perceptions. That's because there is a main point after this. Okay. So we, we see that recognition. You're going to put like different categories on your tolerance level for perceptions. How you interpreting this? How you interpreting it? How do you interpret women who are what, when, when a man defines a woman as being loose, right? How do you interpret loose? Compared to your friend's interpretation of loose, 
Well, you're going to define a loose woman based upon your experience with certain women, right? And see, and some men, they may, def um, some women, they may define a man and say, oh, okay, yeah, so he he's just unfaithful or he's cheap, right? How, how are women defining a, a, a cheap man? How are they defining them? Based upon their experience, their engagement, it formulated a perception. And see, many times we're going through life and we're, we're implementing these perceptions into our long-term memory banks. So now we have action. The next one is the action phase of perception. This process involves your, um, your response to how you perceive things. What's your major action? What, what are some things that you are going to do? Are you, you know, the curator science, of course, you're going to blink. You're going to think you're going to do all type of different things. So being able to understand those, um, sensories to your perception. So there are factors, many factors that influence your perception. You have your personality traits. You may be open. You may be someone that has um, maybe uh, extroverted or introverted. You may um, suffer from neuroticism or imposter syndrome, right? You may be conscientious, right? You may also have um, issues with organizational uh skills and um justice and injustice you may think real um unfairly about some things you may love differently than others your caring level is different your cutthroat level is different too like cutthroat means that you just you are just Unremorse. Some people did walk around with a lack of remorse, a lack of compassion. Some people don't have compassion. They don't have empathy, right? So they consider that to be cutthroat, right? That's what they call it in the they. That's the Ebonics term, cutthroat, or you just you you bogus, you know. So that's a lack of empathy, right? And so we see that this type of attitude can be displayed in a person's uh attitude their emotions their beliefs and their behaviors including their reactions it impacts their attention level how they um pay attention to things how they respond how they act and react in situations it also can um have some pitfalls of perception you, they have pitfalls of perception, which are like the um, spatial neglect syndromes, um, which involve not attending to stimulate one side of the body. Then you have a uh, prosopognosia, which is also called face blindness. It's a disorder that makes it difficult to recognize faces. Then they have uh, um, Aphantasia, a condition characterized by the inability to visualize things in their mind. Some people have schizophrenia, which is marked by abnormal perceptions of reality. So some of these perceptions can also be influenced by genetics as a result of maybe a stroke or a brain injury, right? Um, so we see that many different perceptions have many different things. Some come with deformities, some come with 
you know, satisfactory personality traits and unsatisfactory personality traits such as neurotism and um, imposter syndrome. So well, in order for us to understand the history of perception, you have to be able to sort of go back to the way they have throughout history and understand some of these philosophers. But I'm not going to get too much deep into the philosophers. I just want to make sure that everyone understands how perception can impact your overall belief system, including the science, understanding the science of how perception impacts your brain, the neuro, um, the neuro, um, sensories in your brain, right? So it's impacting all of these things. And this article was actually written by, um, Kendra Cherry. She's a, let me go here. She is Kendra Cherry is um, a, a psychosocial rehabilitation specialist. She's a psychology educator and author of Everything Psychology Book. Okay. So this is good. So she's an educator. Also, um, it was medically reviewed by Stephen Gaines. Um, he's a medical doctor too. So he's a board certified and psychiatry and um, an active supervisor, teacher and mentor in Massachusetts General Hospital. So this is this was an interesting article and I, I, I really do like it. And to go over some of the um, consciousness and psychology, I'll just go over some of those things briefly. I'm not going to touch base with all of it, but very well also um, have an article by Dr. Uh, I'm sorry, by educator. Um, yeah, Dr. Kendra Cherry um, that was medically reviewed by Amy Morin. Right, she's a psychotherapist and an international best-selling author, uh, um, including thirteen things mentally strong people don't do. Um, she also has a TED talk, "The Secret of Becoming Mentally Strong," and is one of the most viewed talks of all times. Okay, so she wrote this. They, they, um, she's re reviewed the article by Kendra Cherry, and this is consciousness and psychology. And I will post this on the blog too, so it'll be posted tonight. Um, so looking here, we see that they, they categorize and identify consciousness as your, uh, something within your thoughts, memories, your feelings, sensations, and environments. Um, so your conscious sort of can shift and stream differently between those different things. Right. And many times and people have states of consciousness where they're talking about the dreams that people have. They talk about hallucinations and hypnosis and meditation and sleep. Then they have states that are induced by psychoactive drugs. Right. Some people are on antipsychotic or antidepressant medication. They can also influence a person's conscious and unconscious state of mind. People also have um, spiritual encounters. Like when we pray to God, they have actually shown in a psychological um, study, in a psychology study, that the brain, something happens to the brain when they pray. When people pray and they have these spiritual encounters with God, something is physically happening to the brain. They were able to do an MRI on a number of different participants and they they show that something happens to the brain when you're praying so that's sort of the science behind prayer so you can have these uh spiritual encounters when you're also praying 
that shapes your conscious. So in addition to your perception, your conscious is also overlapping and intersecting. The intersectionality of your, of your perception and conscious is meeting somewhere. So when we understand intersectionality, you can understand something from it being like on the X axis and a Y axis. How does your perception meet your conscious? And then like put a dot on it. Like your X axis is your perception. Your Y axis is your conscious. How are they intersecting each other? That's how we will identify it through intersectionality. So, so far we may, we may look at the memories, feelings, sensations, and environments, including your thoughts, uh, based upon your conscious. And then under perception, we may just be looking at the different types of perception you have in like your, what is your visual perception, your scent, your touch, your sound, your taste, and how are they interacting with your thoughts, memories, feelings, sensations, and environments of your conscious. So that would be like the intersectionality part there. So sometimes some people can have altered levels of consciousness, right? And that means that they could have, they could be in a coma. They can have a, a coma induced type of um, procedure where they need to be uh induced coma induced or they could just be in a coma they can have confusion right delirium right all of that could be associated with maybe medication or withdrawals substance use disorder or it could also be you know like they're using um or just maybe they just have mental health concerns they they could possibly have disorientation um or they could be in a stupor. They can have uh, a number of different things. So we see that there are basically, they talk about five different levels of your consciousness. And so, um, not they, it's really Kendra. I think that has, that's, yeah, Kendra, she talks about five different levels of your consciousness. And one is your conscious is everything you are aware of. According to... The psychology part okay we haven't gotten to the biblical perspective yet i am going to get there so everything you are aware of according to the psychological perspective that is your conscious then you have your pre-conscious which is information you are not currently aware of that you can pull into awareness then you are unconscious these are memories that are outside of your awareness and inaccessible to you right and I, I say this all the time that people have conscious and unconscious sins. So your conscious sins, right? These are going to be things that you do deliberately. Like, okay, you know, you shouldn't be fornicating, but you out here fornicating. Why? Because you think that it's okay to have sex on the weekend and, and you just only going to have sex this time. That's a, that's a conscious decision. These are things you are aware of. But see, an unconscious decision is, you know, having sex and not having the awareness that it is actually a sin, you know? It's a sin to have intercourse when you're not married, right? Because it's fornication. And if you're doing it with a, a married person, that's adultery. 
right? So you have these conscious and unconscious sins. So I just kind of wanted to put that in there, right? So now we have non-conscious. These are like automatically bodily functions that occur without awareness and sensation. So some people know, like we think of flight, for instance, just say um, someone is riding their bicycle in front of you and they're about to fall and they're right there in front of you. Your automatic response is to grab them and protect them from falling. I'm just using that as an analogy of non-conscious. So you're, these are things that you're automatically going to do. So your subconscious is information that is out of your consciousness and not immediately available to your consciousness. So this is your subconscious mind. The thoughts and feelings that you have about things that, you know, are similar to your unconscious but they are considered subconscious they just they haven't been made available to you yet so for instance the holy spirit has gifted you with discernment but now the holy spirit want to gift you with with wisdom but instead of you being able to have access to the gift of wisdom and knowledge right and you just have discernment but you don't have the gift of wisdom yet so that would be considered a part of your subconscious right because it is a part of your consciousness that is not immediately available to your consciousness so there are different functions of consciousness there are changes in your um consciousness now um the sudden changes in your consciousness could happen from an aneurysm they have also brain infections they have brain tumors or injury they have a uh, dementia or alzheimer's disease many times drugs can impact your brain um, epilepsy, heart disease, heart stroke, lack of oxygen to the brain, right? Um, I've, 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 I've heard that some people, um, when they have these type of conditions or, or problems, you may want to seek immediate medical attention right away, right? So when should you seek help? Well, you, you should seek help when you're experiencing changes in your consciousness. You need to talk to a doctor immediately. Any of the any of those signs. Seek a medical emergency room that that requires your um, immediate help right then and there. Go to the nearest emergency room. Like if you have a stroke or you have a hemorrhaging, go to the emergency room. Because what do a stroke do? We see that that strokes can cause you to have um uh what what is it? A stroke can cause you to have um. I'm trying to see what what did we just talk about here? It was I'm trying to name it off. Okay, so we see that a, a stroke a, a stroke could basically impact your conscious. It, it impacts your body, it impacts your brain and all sorts of things, okay? So those type of things such as a stroke or hemorrhaging, if you have a brain aneurysm or if you're having epilepsy, you may need to seek immediately the nearest medical emergency room near you, okay? So you might need to call 911 to get medical treatment. But um, I'm not going to go over the history there are some theories that um, talks about your consciousness, all right? I think, therefore, I am. That is something that was suggested by one of um, a, a philosopher. So you have scientists who have utilized brain scanning technologies 
to start sort of understand the neurons and the um neurotransmitters in the brain to understand the different conscious events events that take place and you also have modern researchers who also try to study um the two major theories of consciousness which is integrated information theory and global workspace theory okay integrated information theory basically focuses um primarily on conscious and to what degree it is a conscious okay the global workspace theory really focuses on the experience of conscious awareness and that's it that's the difference that's the main difference so to summarize all of this we see that there is a big difference between physical social cultural and psychological influences that impacts and relates to your conscious awareness okay and so i want to talk about now i want to talk about the biblical perspective of your conscious so i talked about this before i'm trying to remember um i think i think it was the last podcast so let's talk about um one second let me pull this up Okay, so we're going to look at the word. Um, I think it's here. Okay, wait. One second. Okay. Just this one, one second. One moment, everybody.
Okay, thank you all so much for holding briefly for me. So there are a couple different meanings to understand in order to understand fully what your conscious is, right? So let's go to understand knowledge from God's perspective, okay? So the word knowledge, um, and let's look at this scripture. We're going to look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. It says, for if they, after they 
have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They are again entangled therein and overcome the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. So if you escape all the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord, some people become entangled again, but then they overcome. Right? They overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. They can overcome, but when they get entangled, it'll be worse than them when they first started. That's what it means. Okay? So this knowledge base is based upon Strong's number 1922, which means epignosis. Epignosis. That's the Greek word. Epignosis is Strong's 1922. It means recognition. Full discernment, acknowledgement, knowledge. Okay. So now we're going to go look at the word judgment. Okay. The word judgment. So in order to understand judgment, we I want to look at a, a couple verses here. So we're going to look at one second. So let's look at We're going to look at the word judgment. And we're going to look at the word. Um, okay. So. This word judgment here. They actually. The word judgment is listed in 285 Bible verses. It has 26 different meanings. Okay. 26 different meanings for the word judgment. So let's look at this word. Okay. So we're going to look at the word judgment. Judgment means um, arrangements, case, cause, charge, claim, court, crimes, customs. It has so many different names to the word judgment itself. It's to construct right also to decide on a case belonging to god the pouch of judgment okay all right so that's what the word judgment means it is strong's number 4941 which is pronounced mishpot mishpot judgment that's what it means so we look at discerning right to discern discern what pertains to god's gift um of which results from knowing discerning the lord's will and obeying it that's greek um greek word um arenikos is strong 15 16. right so there are a couple of other ones i want to look at here
So now we're going to go. I want to look at the word discernment in the dictionary. So let's go here. We're going to look at what is discernment. So discernment, according to Psalm 119.66, it means to taste, right? It also can have some discriminating judgments to distinguish between and recognize um, and recognize the moral implications of things, to distinguish between those things, right? We can weigh in on uh, certain things, right? Jesus, um, if we go to John chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, we see that Jesus was entrusted himself to them. Jesus would not entrust himself to them right in john chapter 2 verse 24 and 25 we also see that discernment is without judgmentalism that's what it says but judge but discernment is actually the ability to be able to judge so i want to go to this one other scripture here So this, hold on one second. Okay. So while I pull this information together, I wanted to play a video for you all. And this talks about the um, the stereotypes too. Okay. So let's go into understanding the stereotypes versus prejudice versus discrimination. Okay. So I'm going to play this video. This video is actually not that long. It's about two minutes long. Um, but I also want to play another video. And this is, um, we all have implicit biases. So I'll play these two videos. And then, okay. All right, here we go. No, I'm sorry. The first video is actually 11 minutes long. So I'm going to play that and then I'll reflect on there. Between stereotypes, prejudice, and discrimination. And we'll discuss several important social psychological concepts and hypotheses related to each, including what causes them to arise in the first place. Let's go over a bit of terminology to kick things off. 
A stereotype is a belief, which can be positive or negative, about the characteristics of members of a group that is applied generally to most members of that group. Believing that Asians are good at math, for example, is positive. It's not necessarily derogatory, but it's nonetheless a stereotype that you have about Asians. Now, stereotypes, these beliefs, can lead to prejudice, which in contrast can only ever be negative. Prejudice involves uh, drawing negative conclusions about a person, a group of people, or a situation prior to evaluating the evidence. And these baseless conclusions are typically the result of those stereotypes that you hold about that group. Also in contrast to stereotypes, prejudice involves emotion. It's an attitude. Being prejudiced against a person or a group of people involves feeling negatively toward them. Now because of these negative emotions and these negative conclusions that you're coming to, prejudice often leads to discrimination, which is negative behavior towards members of an outgroup. And by the way, an outgroup is a group that we don't belong to or one that we view as fundamentally different from us, whereas an in-group, in contrast, refers to a group that we do identify with or see ourselves as belonging to. So I might be using that terminology quite a bit. Important to know. So just to summarize, stereotypes are beliefs, prejudice is an attitude, and discrimination is a behavior. Let's go over an example that puts all of this together. Let's say, for example, that you believe older adults are incompetent, and that's a stereotype that you have about older adults. And I'll note that I'm not endorsing this stereotype or any other stereotype that I use as an example in this video, but we have to have some kind of an example to work with here. So let's say you work at, I don't know, a tech company, and you're looking to hire an assistant. If an elderly gentleman applies, you might walk into that interview with the gentleman, assuming he won't be a good fit or that he'd be difficult to train. Now we would call this premature conclusion, this negative attitude toward this gentleman, prejudice. Finally, you may decide not to hire the gentleman at all because of your stereotype, because of your prejudice. In this case, the behavior of not hiring him would be discrimination. Now, stereotypes and prejudice can be either explicit, meaning we're consciously aware of having this bias, or implicit, meaning it's there, but we aren't aware of it. Research shows that explicit prejudice is in decline, which is encouraging. However, implicit prejudice really isn't much. That is, people report being very anti-biased nowadays, but their behavior still tells us a different story. Let's take a look at a few examples to illustrate. Starting with the realm of gender, we can look to some of my own data. In one study, I searched through the language used by students evaluating their teachers in over 14 million reviews posted to the popular, uh, popular instructor evaluation website, RateMyProfessors.com, which you've perhaps used in the past. I was specifically interested in stereotypes about intelligence, and so I searched through uh, uses of the words genius and brilliant. So let's take a look at the results. There's a lot of information here. Let me help you interpret these graphs. These are graphs for uses of the words genius on the left and brilliant on the right. The x-axis on both of these graphs represents uses per millions of words of text, which might sound a little complicated, but really isn't. There's a ton of text here, so to keep the numbers on the x-axis from being enormous and, and just visually unappealing, I used this uh, uses per millions of words of text. But the interpretation is basically the same. The further to the right you go on the x-axis, the higher the number, the more this word was used. So that's how you can interpret that. 
the y-axis here displays all of the different fields, such as philosophy, music, uh, mathematics, psychology. So you can look for your own field or just pause the video and look through them in general if you're curious. And fields that are higher up on the y-axis were the ones in which the words were used the most often. The blue dots here on the slide represent reviews of male professors, whereas the orange dots represent reviews of female professors. So before I give you the punchline, what do you notice here? Well, what I found is that for every field for which we have data, students describe their male professors as genius and brilliant significantly more often than they do their female professors. And in no field was this effect reversed, even for fields where women were the statistical majority. And this points to a stereotype in favor of men's intelligence and against women's intelligence. Now you might be wondering, does this reflect an overall bias against women, or is the stereotype specific to intellectual ability? Well, I was curious about this as well, but if you look at the data for the terms excellent and amazing, the gender bias goes away entirely. It appears that students believe that their female professors can be excellent and amazing, but they believe it's mainly the male professors who are genius and brilliant. Again, this is evidence of implicit bias because students are likely not consciously aware of this discrepancy. They're simply going online to review their professors and they're not giving their stereotypes any thought. So explicitly, students would likely say they don't hold a bias, yet implicitly they respond in this way. This is a common theme in modern research on stereotypes, prejudice, and discrimination. Now that's gender, what about race? One study found that doctors were only 60% as likely to suggest a top-rated diagnostic test for black heart patients than for white heart patients. And there's also evidence to suggest that white men are offered greater financial opportunities. As one example, a study found that white men were offered the best deals at used car dealerships. White men paid $109 on average, less than white women, $318 less than black women, and a whopping $900, excuse me, and $35 less for a used car on average than black men. Now, these are just two examples out of thousands that I could tell you about. But again, it's likely the case that these doctors and car salesmen aren't explicitly biased, but their behavior provides evidence of implicit bias. Okay, so let's finish with a brief discussion of what leads to the development and perpetuation of some of these things, stereotypes, prejudice, and discrimination, starting with stereotypes. A factor that we've learned about before is confirmation bias the tendency to seek out evidence that supports our beliefs and to deny, dismiss, or distort evidence that contradicts them. Say, for example, that you believe women to be bad drivers. If you're out driving for an hour, you might encounter several bad drivers, some male, some female. If you don't have a stereotype against male drivers, though, you might not think much of them when they speed or make dangerous moves. But the second a female driver cuts you off, for example, you feel vindicated as though you've found additional evidence or proof for your belief. This reinforces your stereotype, even though in truth, many people are bad drivers regardless of their gender. Now, if we used system two thinking, which we've learned about in a previous video, to evaluate these kinds of assumptions and the data that we base them on, we might realize that those assumptions are erroneous, but we usually don't. And this is because we are cognitive misers. That is, we seek to use only minimal cognitive resources when explaining the world around us. 
evaluating our stereotypes takes effort. And because we generally don't go to more effort than we deem absolutely necessary, we don't evaluate or reevaluate them at all. Now, what causes prejudice? First, we have in-group bias, which refers to the tendency to favor individuals from within our group over those from outside our group. Evidence from developmental psychology suggests that this bias is innate, with young infants showing strong preferences, for example, for others who share their preferences, such as their favorite snack, and infants disliking others who do not share their preferences, for example, if the other person shows that they like a different snack more. Think of the implications for racism, sexism, and so on. Another factor is called the ultimate attribution error which refers to the assumption that behaviors among individual members of a group are due to their internal dispositions. Outgroup members' flaws are due to internal factors such as their personality or their race, whereas in-group members' flaws aren't. This might sound a lot like the fundamental attribution error, which we've learned about before, but it is a bit different. Think of the ultimate attribution error as more of a narrow case of the fundamental attribution error applied specifically to attributions about an individual in relation to the group to which they belong. Along similar lines, outgroup homogeneity refers to the tendency to view all individuals outside our group as highly similar to one another. Here, think of the implications for identifying a suspect in a police lineup, for example. But also consider this bias in relation to the ultimate attribution error. It's a very bad combination to assume that outgroup members' flaws are due to inherent factors, such as their personalities or their race, and to simultaneously assume that outgroup members are all highly similar to one another. Finally, scapegoating refers to the act of blaming an outgroup when the in-group experiences frustration or is blocked from obtaining some kind of a goal. People scapegoat because it preserves a positive self-concept. If you believe the reason you can't get a job is because immigrants are taking them all, well, then you don't have to come to terms with the reality that you simply aren't qualified or competent enough for that line of work. Now, this list of causes here is by no means all-inclusive, but should give you a good idea of the general psychological phenomena that lead to the formation and perpetuation of stereotypes, prejudice, and discrimination. Okay, that now that was pretty interesting, right? He talked about um the main things that I like that he talked about was the um I want to start this video by telling you the hold story on one second. the perception of um implicit and explicit bias. So the implicit bias is you know you're unaware that you are actually having this bias. For instance, when they looked at um women they the students looked at women as being excellent and ama and amazing, right? And then they just automatically had this implicit bias for them. But the explicit bias was that they considered men to be geniuses. So these explicit biases are when people are biased and the implicit bias is when they lack the conscious or understanding of those biases, right? And so um, what I wanted to look at here was I wanted to move a little forward and look at this word. Okay. This is Strong's number 7922. 
So let's go there. You look at Strong's number 79. Strong's number 7922. Okay. And so what this is, it is prudence, insight. This is basically wisdom. It's intelligence. It's discretion, knowledge, policy, prudence, sense, understanding, wisdom, wise. Um, it is pronounced sequel, 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 right? That means um, intelligence, your implication, success, policy, prudence, sense, understanding, wisdom. All of these things are the Hebrew word for understanding and knowledge. So when we understand what the conscious is, we already understand that the conscious is your sensories, um, your, sens your sensory stimulus, which is your touch, taste, and all of those different things. So we understand that from your perception. We understand that perception is what your visual, your scent, the way you smell, touch, and the sound to things and the way things taste to you. Those are all your sensory stimulus from your perception. So your co-perception is going to be those things that are influencing your thoughts, your memories, your feelings, sensations, and your environment. Okay. And so we can understand that from looking at Strong's number 7919, because it helps us to understand what intelligence is implication, success, discretion, knowledge, policy, prudence, sense, understanding, and wisdom. Okay. All right. I have a more thorough breakdown of that. But for now, what I like to do is um shift a little bit of focus to sort of dive a little deeper into understanding um some of the implicit biases so what can we do about implicit bias and so we understand that implicit biases are really the things that you are biased about so let's go back to the actual blog itself so Last week, when I talked about Abraham being Terra's son, he had originally been a, a Chaldean who was black, according to, um, he was a Chaldean, according to the scriptures in Genesis chapter 11, 31, and Genesis chapter 15, verse 7. He was given the promised land, right? So, Chaldean is located in I Iraq today. So, it is, it is known as Southern Babylonian. According to Gat Questions, who gives a demystified analysis of the Chaldeans. And so I talked about that last week. Also, the promise to Abraham and his offsprings from God. We see this in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, and then also in verse 7. So it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. Right. So we understand that the word nation itself means what a foreigner. OK, Um. so I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in and, and, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord. And this is in Genesis 12, verse 1 through 3, and also in verse 7. Okay, 
So what we see here is that the word nation, according to Strong's number 1471, it means Gawi. And in Hebrew, it is pronounced Goi, right? And it means a foreign nation, a Gentile, a heathen, a heathen people. So what this means altogether is that God was going to make a foreign nation come from the descendants of Abraham because Abraham was a Chaldean. He was a black face. He was a part of the black face people, according to the article from um, Henry quote, uh, Henry Amoka, right? Where he talked about the black face pe people and the ancient Chaldeans who were black. And all of these people would make sense being that Sarah chose her maid servant who was also black. Her maid servant Hagar was black too. Okay. Um, we see this in the Bible. Um, and I'll get to that in one moment. So, um, so looking at this here, there were relics of prehistoric blacks discovered in the region whose earliest civilization was Sumerians. And they, they were described in Babylonian inscriptions as black-faced people. So the mainland of the Chaldeans was in the southern Mesopotamia and included the city of Babylon. So Abraham was considered a foreigner because he was a Chaldean, right? When we look in um, Genesis 15, chapter 15, verse 12 through 21, let's read it. It says, then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own. And that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. Verse 15 says, you, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun has set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On the day that the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river of Euphrates, the land of Kenites, Kenazites, Kadmonites, Hedatites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gigashites, and Jebusites. Okay, so this is what God said to Abraham. He is going to get all the descendants of the land of Wadi of Egypt, right? All of the descendants of this land, all the way from Wadi of Egypt to the great river of Euphrates, all the way down to the Jebusites. Okay, you have so many different places. You have the you you have the Kenites. Canaanites, Catamonites, Hedatites, Parasites, all of these different lands that they're going to take over. So therefore, God gave parts of Egypt to Abraham's descendants in addition to the promised land. So God will bless blacks to inherit the land 
the promised land as a foreign people. Okay. This is very simple and very easy to understand. So I want to um also talk about, let's see, uh Hagar was Egyptian. I, I should have put that scripture in there. Okay, let's let's pull that up because I do have it. So um Genesis. This should be in Genesis chapter 16. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Let's see. One second. Okay. So I have this scripture. So, so here you go. Um, I'm going to post it. All right. I will be posting it. It is actually in um, Genesis 25, 13 through 15. So let's go there. Genesis 25, 13 through 15. And also we, we see that um, Hagar is also mentioned in um, Genesis chapter 16. Okay. So let's go to Genesis 16. Okay, here we go. In verse, uh, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 16, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. So that's in Genesis chapter 16. We see that Hagar is an Egyptian slave. She sleeps with Abram at the time, who is the child um, Ishmael that is born from Hagar. And in Genesis chapter 25, um, let me pull that up. Genesis, Genesis 25 is where it talks about um, the descendants of Ishmael, right? Um Ishmael's sons, okay? Genesis 25, verse 12 through 18, okay? And I'll put that up there too so everybody can see that because I didn't know that I had left that out. I do do a lot of research and a lot of reading, so I should have had that up there. I apologize. I will have it up there tonight though, okay? So going back, we see that God gave parts of Egypt to Abraham's descendants in addition to giving them the promised land, Right? So what happened was God will bless blacks to inherit the promised land as a foreign people, bringing an end to this long controversy of God's people being another race other than black, right? That should just stop the, the, um, the curiosity of trying to understand that because it's, it's simple. It's written here in the Bible. And so the Bible is true. All right. So primarily to combat this dogmatism which is opinion versus facts because that's what dogmatism is and a lot of times people are formulating their opinions surrounding scripture when in fact opinions really really does not matter that is a part of scripture that is interpreted from a lens of eisegesis right so eisegesis is the ability to interpret the scripture based upon your opinion 
okay that's considered eisegesis exegesis is understanding the scripture reading it exactly for the way that it is written okay so the way we are supposed to study the word of god is through exegesis and we do it through hermeneutics and that is studying it and reading it exactly the way that it is written okay we don't need to add anything we just know that when you go to one word it says if it's talking about knowledge you understand that knowledge is associated with what perception understanding right you're not adding nothing you just determining and understanding what knowledge means right because you need to know what that means okay so um to understand your perception you see that perception is associated with your conscious right and um that is something that is also part of discernment so discernment just understanding just the basic terminology of things so we study the word of god through exegesis and these are the facts that are written in the bible we're not going to add a whole we're not adding things to the bible what we're doing is reading it exactly as it is written so we see that the 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 um the promised land used to be called canaan right and so that's the promised land the promised land right now in jerusalem used to be called canaan and we have maps of that we're not changing anything we're just looking at the geographical location of where it was geographically then according to evidence which are facts right we look at the archaeology we look at the geographics we understand the facts surrounding biblical terminology when it comes to geographical location yes it will used to be called canaan now it's positioned at the exact same place as jerusalem what happened to jerusalem the name changed from canaan all the way to today it is considered jerusalem it is no longer considered canaan so did we change anything no we did not the bible still states that it's canaan but we, when we look and find the geographical location of Canaan, we see that it's located where Jerusalem is positioned today. So that's the way that we understand the Bible. We read it through exegesis. This is how we understand theology of it. Okay. So the theology is understanding scripture. So when you read the Strong's Concordance, you're studying the art, our artifacts and the archaeology or geographics of the Bible. You're going to be looking at what? I exegesis exegesis so in order for us to combat dogmatism which is opinions people are saying oh well i think it's this saying this and i think that it's saying that and i think and i think and i think no 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 no. it's not about what you think it's about what is what is god saying in his word so that's how we understand the word of god we we combat dogmatism by saying that we're not going to be looking at no opinions we're looking at the facts of what the bible tells us and we're going to read it and interpret it through exegesis which means we're going to understand the word of god exactly the way that it is written and we're not going to formulate a whole bunch of different things around it okay so all facts were analyzed that support evidentiary claims that the chosen people of Abraham's descendants are indeed black. So you must ask God to reveal to you by giving you an understanding of the interpretation of Revelation chapter 3, verse 9. 
In Revelation chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say that they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. So what God is saying is that there are people in this world that are claiming that they are Jews, but they are really from the synagogue of Satan. And so what God is going to do is God is going to make them understand that God loves his children, which are the Jews. Okay. So they are the true ones and the true ones are the ones who were blessed through Abraham. And we see in Hebrew, right? We, we see that the Hebrew word for nation, Hebrew in nation, it means foreign nation. That's what nation means. It means foreign nation, Gentile, heathen people. So these are outsiders. Abraham was a Chaldean who was an outsider. So God blessed the outsider, a foreigner, to bless the descendants of a foreign people. All right. So now looking forward a little bit. In order for us, let's, let's shift into the discussion of Hebrews which are also called Israelites. Okay. So I'm going to get through this one little section and then I'll continue this on tomorrow. So Hebrew is a name given to the Israelites by other people. Okay. I'm going to say that again. Hebrew is a name that is given to the Israelites by other people. So there are so many people that have this stereotype. Oh, okay. Well, they're not Jews. They're Jews. They're Hebrews, Israelites. Who are these? Who are they? Right. And in order for you to understand, you have to go and study. Right. So we understand that Hebrew is a name that is given to Israelites by other people. Um, Hebrew refers to Abraham and is listed and recorded as the Habir or um, Habir people in Egypt in the 12th and 13th century. So that's where that name came from. It's actually called Habiru, Habiru people. Okay. Um, there, there was no letter J in Greek or Hebrew, like during that time. So the Greek text and Hebrew scrolls, are also called the Dead Sea Scrolls, okay? And so in order to understand the Dead Sea Scrolls, let me let me pull this information up. I'm going to pull this up. I probably won't be able to get through this section today, but that's fine. The, the Dead Sea Scrolls is ancient, according to Britannica, right? It means um, it's mostly Hebrew manuscripts. And um, it was first found in 1947 on the northwestern shore of the Dead Sea. Discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls is among the more important finds in the history of modern archaeology. Um, some of the study of the scrolls has enabled scholars to push back the date of stabilized Hebrew Bible um, to no later than 70 um, before Christ. Right? So... They classified it as the Dead Sea Scrolls in 19, basically in 1947. But when they're looking at the Hebrew Bible itself, the it, it predates back to 
no later than 70 um before Christ or yeah before uh Christ or before common era um the way some people interpret that so to help reconstruct the history of Palestine from the 4th century before Christ to 135 um to 135 and to cast new light on the emergence of Christianity um they have Christianity and Judaism right that sort of emerged between a relationship of Christianity and Jewish religious traditions and so I talked about that I talked about Judaism on my podcast that um discusses love hate and benevolence right and you can also click the link here and it'll explain to you about all of the Dead Sea Scrolls and it basically give you a breakdown of the original Hebrew Bible and um when the Dead Sea Scrolls were emerged so the Hebrew Scrolls are comprised of the Hebrew Bible right so in order to interpret in order to interpret the Hebrew scrolls you must rely on scholars who can interpret the ancient language of Hebrew to understand the word of God so what this means is that Joshua and Jesus are the same names okay so the reason why I'm talking about this is because there are a lot of people that try to dispute this understanding of God and fully understanding Jesus, okay? Because they say that the letter J was, um, there was no letter J in Greek or Hebrew. But in order to fully understand this, um, this negative perception, right, that can lead to negative stereotypes, we need to be able to have this discussion, all right? And so um, this means that Joshua and Jesus would mean that it has the same names. It means the same thing. So you have Armaniac, um, I believe that's how you pronounce it. You have the Armaniac uh, translation and also the English translation, which is Jesus. So translating Armaniac name of, of Jesus is translated into Joshua. And in the English translation is translated into Jesus, right? So one name is translated from Hebrew into English and the other from Greek into English. All right. It also interesting to note that the names Joshua and Isaiah read in Hebrew, read in Hebrew are essentially the same names in Hebrew too. They mean Savior and the Lord Yah is salvation. Okay. So let's click that. I wanted to click on the word Joshua click on the word Joshua and click on the link that says Isaiah there. Okay. And so I don't have enough time to go over these though, but I did want to look at it. I can't finish it tonight. I'm already at the two hour mark. So that's fine. I'm going to make the, uh, the necessary updates and, um, I will be posting them. So please be on the lookout for that. And um, if you all want to have a prayer request, please send your prayer request to Laws Life Help at SuddenChangesCorporation.org. Um, tomorrow, hopefully, we'll dive deeper into understanding the truth about the Hyburu people or Hyperu uh, people. They are known as the um, the the actual um, biblical um, 
Jews, the Israelites, and being able to understand them. And a little bit more about the Holy Land and diving a little bit further into some stereotypes and overcoming some implicit biases. So I do want to talk about those things and hopefully I'll be able to get around to doing that tomorrow. But let me go ahead and pray. So Father God, I just thank you. We thank you for giving us your word today, Lord. We ask that you just please allow us to continue to grow and understand and develop through vitality, through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit quickening us and allowing us to discuss all the things that we need to talk about and learn. God, let us develop into the children that you have called us to be, the children that you've chosen us to be, Lord God. Allow allow your plan, will, and purpose to be fulfilled in our life. We thank you. We give you glory, praise, and honor in the name of Jesus Christ. It is still in your blood. All right, everybody. I will see you all tomorrow. In the meantime, if you um wanted to complete some mandated community service or maybe do some volunteer work, please go ahead and do that at um send that request to info at suddenchangescorporation.org. Also, if you wanted to suggest a topic or if you've seen something on a blog post or maybe a social media status or a post, please send me an email about it or you can make a comment on one of the blogs. Um, you can send that email to Deanna Watson at suddenchangescorporation.org. So thank you all so much for joining me tonight. I really do appreciate it. Stay blessed and I will see you all tomorrow. Have a good night.